0: Good jobs, quality jobs. We still have so much to do for women's rights. For the parents to go to work, you need good childcare. We will not have a successful recovery if we leave social rights.
1: Reinventing our way of building and living.
0: It is all right.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Eurofans podcast series. Today, Eurofan talks skills. We're going to talk about labour shortages. We're going to talk about skills. We're going to talk about Europe's workforce being prepared for the challenges it faces into the next period. We've seen increased demand in several sectors and occupations, and we've seen shortages developing in many other sectors and occupations. These are the key challenges that became the central points of this year's European Year of Skills, where the focus is very firmly placed on this area. Today's podcast, we're going to delve into the different areas of skill shortages and the issues they raise. It's not limited to training and it's not limited indeed to, to skills itself. We're looking at job quality, we're looking at also the other issues which need to be addressed to ensure that the European Union has a workforce that can deliver in the context of these different transitions to ensure that we achieve the economic, social and environmental goals. Today I'm delighted to discuss this, that we have Eurofans Research Manager Tina Weber, and senior research manager, Gijs van Houten. And indeed today for the first time, we're being joined by Giovanni Rosso, who is a senior expert at Cedefop, which essentially is the EU's agency for skills, the European Centre for the Development of Vocational Training, which is based in Thessalonica. And Eurofant has a long history with Cedefop and we work jointly with them on several projects, not least the joint uh, European company survey, which took place in 2019. So you're all very welcome. Let's start, Tina, with you. Um, I always like to get a a big picture of what we're talking about. So maybe you can give us an idea of what we're talking about in terms of the skills shortages, what we're talking about in terms of uh, vacancies, And what we're seeing in terms of developments, you know, at this stage into the future.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mary. I don't want to be too theoretical, but maybe if I can start with a bit of clarification, because the terms skill shortage and labor shortage are often used interchangeably. And they're not really. Skill shortage to me is a part of labor shortage. So the definition that we use in Eurofound is that a labor shortage is when the demand for labor um, and the supply for labour is mismatched. So the number of workers that possess the right skills and are willing to work for a specific rate of pay, for in specific working conditions and in a particular place and point in time when there is a mismatch in that. And skill shortages are part of that, but it's broader. So when we look at labor shortages more generally, we have three main indicators that are available at the EU level. You have the job vacancy rate, you have the business confidence indicator, and you have um, an annual data set from EURES, which is the, the body that helps with job matching across borders Where on the occupations where there is uh, surplus and shortage. So if you look at the job vacancy rates, the first thing to note is that they have really increased uh, in recent years. So in uh, 10 years ago, it was 1.3%. Now it's closer to 3%. And there was only really a, a minor decline during the pandemic, which is maybe surprising. And the highest shortage in terms of sectors you can find in construction in STEM, professional and scientific, in accommodation and food services, ICT, and health and care. For the business confidence indicator is when employers are asked, um, is the difficulty in finding labor a factor that limits the delivery of services or production? That has also really increased from about 5% to 25% now. 25%? Yeah. That's the first quarter of 2023, and that is now highest in services. You only get very broad um, sectoral descriptions, so you only have services, uh, manufacturing, construction, and it's highest in construction at the moment. The Eurostat data um, is at the more granular occupational level. And here, the main shortage occupations tend to be the kind of skilled crafts you would need in Mm. construction, like bricklayers, plumbers, electricians, Mm. etc. And then you have the health and care professions, nurses, GPs, and so on. And the hotels and restaurant sector is one that is a little bit newer. So very much post-COVID, you saw an increase in shortages in those sectors.
1: So clearly an issue for employers as well as the clear distinction between 1.3% rising to 3% in the vacancy rates. Okay. And in terms of the countries, are we seeing you know, particular issues raised in certain countries? Yeah, the level of shortage is very
0: different from country to country. At present, the highest shortages you would find in countries like uh, Czechia, the Netherlands, Austria, Germany... And the lowest uh, rates of shortage are in countries like Romania, Bulgaria, but also Portugal and Spain, the countries that took the longest to recover from the previous crisis. So there, uh, the level of shortage is still not quite as high.
1: And Tina, we, I, I, in the introduction, I referred briefly to the um, various transitions that we are experiencing. And clearly, there's a lot that needs to be done to to embed them and and integrate them into our economic and social fabric. In particular, though, I'm I'm looking at the climate goals and and reducing emissions um, by at least 55% by 2030. How do you think, or or what do you see in terms of the research, how that is likely to impact on on labour and and skill shortages in the coming years?
0: There's a lot of research that has been done to try and estimate what is the overall employment effect of the the FIT for 55 goals. And they generally show that um, the overall impact is somewhat positive, so between uh, one and three million additional jobs, But of course, that uh, varies very significantly from sector to sector. So, uh, we see um, a likely decline in demand for manufacturing jobs. Um, Interestingly, an increase in demand for workers in construction, business services and, and services more generally. But then you need to look at it more again at the granular level. So who do we need in construction? You know, we need a much what much kind? greater focus mm. on uh, the kind of skills that are to do with retrofitting homes. So mm. it might not be entirely different jobs, just mm. different skills needed for electricians, you know, whatever the kind of professions. And our most recent research also interestingly finds that. The most likely gains are in the lower and the higher paid spectrum, so less in
1: the middle, which is, which is quite an interesting phenomenon. So clearly, from what you're saying, the research is showing us that there will be a requirement to adjust skills uh, in in respect to responding to these different transitions, uh, green but also digital and yeah. possibly even Absolutely. demographic. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I
0: mean, I suppose the the most evident and easily identifiable example is the energy sector, where you see this transition away from from coal and the carbon intensive Mm -hmm. energy sectors to renewables, which require entirely different skills. Mm -hmm. So there's a need to to reskill the workforce and to provide an opportunity to shift to some of those new uh, job opportunities.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's looking very much, I suppose, at the, the labour shortages aspect, as you've defined there, the difference and the subset being the, the skill shortages. And I suppose getting down to that level, Grace, I mean, when we're we're looking here at bigger economic goals, how we need to adjust, but how is it happening at the business company level? You know, how how are we looking at utilising the skills of workers? And maybe the company survey has been able to tell us something about this. Can you give us a bit of an insight there?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, for sure, and I, th- I think uh, Tina did make a very important distinction between the skill shortages on one hand and the labor shortages on the other, because what we've been looking at in, in the company survey, which I think is a very, uh, unique exercise and there's not very many uh, multi-country uh, company surveys out there, what it looks at is workplace practices with regard to work organization human resource management training um, and very importantly uh, direct and indirect ways of employee participation and what it shows is that there's a lot to gain in businesses in terms of making use of the skills of the staff that they have many businesses tend to view their employees rather as a uh, liability than as an asset so it's it's it's, it's a cost and not necessarily uh, a, a gain and i think The data shows pretty clearly that those businesses that have a more people-centered approach, where they take opinions and skills and knowledge of their employees very seriously and put practices in place that tap into this, uh, they they fare better. So they have happier employees and they have better performance as a as an establishment. Um, And when we dig we dug into that deeper in the most recent report, we looked at what what are the mechanisms that make sure that this like let's say broader beneficial working conditions result into better use of skills and we we, we use the theoretical model which is the, the amo model it looks at ability motivation and opportunity so the argument is that in order to get the best out of your employees you need to make sure that they have the right skills to do their jobs and also the opportunity to keep developing them to maybe do their jobs better or to do different jobs. They have the motivation to use those skills Mm. and the opportunity to use those skills because quite often uh, people are being put in a situation where actually they're only using a very limited part of their skill set. And they might not have the autonomy to take on more complicated uh, tasks uh, that would allow them to use a broader set of skills.
1: So we know in fact that that investment in skills or investment in growing your worker and ensuring that they are able to exploit their skills and their, their development is assured within the organization, we know that that's good for, for them but we also know that it's good for the business and for productivity and company.
2: Yes, and arguably it's not just investing in skills. You need to provide an environment in which workers are, are happy and, and, and keen to actually uh, apply them.
1: Which is a story we're seeing across the European Year of Skills that it's not just about skills. It's about so much more to ensure that we facilitate the development of these skills, etc. And in terms of that, I mean, being more specific, I mean, how have businesses been adapting to ensure that they get the best out of their workers?
2: Well, the survey doesn't really show changes in businesses in the behavior of businesses, right? So we don't know how businesses have changed in terms of how they apply their practices. So if you want to turn it around, what we find is that uh, businesses that invest more, particularly uh, in 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 the autonomy and the the, the 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 discretion, the job discretion of workers, they fared much better during COVID, right? So they are actually more adaptive uh, rather than have been adapting. Uh, Because when you give workers more freedom in how to uh, carry out their tasks and the order in which they do things, they get more creative and they're more likely to uh, be able to face, like unexpected challenges than when you have a more rigid, uh, control-based uh, approach.
1: That's fascinating. So in fact, it, it increases flexibility to some degree. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. And that responsiveness to these kind of crises that we are the term, exactly. a crisis situation we're in.
2: You would expect that particularly these businesses that have these practices in place fare much better in terms of coping with the transition to green, the transition to digital, generally are likely to be more innovative and that's also what our data show us.
1: So that's a very interesting part. Creating the environment to that values skill development, in fact, is fundamental.
2: Yeah, but also just the recognition that like you're dealing with people that have uh, are likely to have a much broader set of interests than the and skills, than the particular skills that you've recruited them into your organization for. it might not apply to all of the sectors because I was thinking when you're thinking of like in a, in, a, in a hotel setting, is it really the case that all the pot scrubs have also skills with regard to waiting and could you move to route? But it might. Mm. And at least it's a first step that is maybe relatively inexpensive uh, to take to have a broader mm-hmm. recognition of the staff that you do have the opportunities that you do have to face your challenges rather than immediately looking out at the market to like fit Exactly right. the right peg in the right hole.
1: And clearly what you're saying is it's a win-win.
2: Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. I think that's a very important point. It is an
1: important yeah. point, yeah, and this in particularly at this stage. Um, Giovanni, um, when we're talking about this, I mean, you set up up as more looking about, you know, the, the demand side of this, skills shortages. Maybe you can give us a quick insight to what your work has been in terms of looking at the skills demands and, and how they've been changing in Europe over over the years.
3: Um, I think um, um, I want to take a little bit of a pause here and and looking at the demand side of what is going on, because um, this is a very strange shortage. Um, If you think recently, we just had two instances of a shortage. We had in the U.S. a shortage of of good excess demand. In in Europe, we had a shortage of energy and it was the the gas crisis. And in both cases, there has been a spike in price. When we look at the labor market and, you know, these shortages that we have, it's a very odd one because we don't see the spike in wages. I mean, inflation last year was at 9 percent, but the increase in the hourly wage was like only 5 percent. So overall. There has been a decrease in the real wage, so that is really odd, and so maybe this is worth um, to, to have a broader look on on these things. And I do think that the, the the difficulties companies are experiencing are real. So they actually have difficulties in finding the skills they need. But this is because recruitment is a very difficult phase, and this argument here has been uh, downplayed. You know, there was an, a recent article, a recent uh, uh, journal, a recent uh, um issues on the journal of applied psychology looking back over 100 years of research on, on 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 recruitment and this is why you know we have to recognize that this is a very difficult um, a very difficult phase for for each and every organizations and this is why this claim that, that they have difficulties in finding skills is so widespread i think we need to f- focus on i mean or at least consider these explanations i mean looking at the Company survey, um, there is a positive link between uh, um, uh, companies experiencing turnover and the difficulties they have in finding the skills. So probably there is something there, but because um, we, we haven't really dealt in uh, dealt in in this in this, um, in, this ta- in this topic yet very much, so I want to put it there. I want to put it out there as a complementary explanation to what we just said so far. Mm. And um, no, it's I, an interesting I element,
1: that. I think, to, to consider. I mean, you've no solution to the problem, Giovanni. Certainly research at this stage is mm-hmm. is, is out on this.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think there is an issue. I mean, we have attempts to fill this uh, this. Um, uh, the, the quirkness of the labor market no? if you think that, if you think the labor market is a market without marketplaces. So now there are job boards and the public employment services and there are intermediaries, but a hell of a lot of resource allocation is still driven by networks ma- rather than marketplaces. you know So it is a, a market which has its own specificity and we don't have to forget those things when we're talking about you know finding skills.
1: Okay, but I mean, you've you've talked there a little bit about recruitment, and in a way, you're you're suggesting there that there's there's room for greater education for 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 management with respect to dealing with these skills and these skill shortages. Would that be right?
3: Oh yes, but um, in you know, again, let <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I I'm, I'm, I know I'm. Creating myam now, um, but I think there is a, um, an original way to look at these um, uh, at these things because when you look at schools and universities, how they um, um, deliver the skills on the market, what you need before any they can do anything is that there is a sort of an agreement, a settlement on the type of technology used. Once the technology is um, is clarified, then universities and the schools are very efficient in providing the skills they uh, needed by the labour market. Um, but as long as there is attention on which technology will win, university school, the, the old school system cannot really commit to one technology or the other. But there is another issue that is often forgotten uh, in, in the role of uh, uh, education, uh, which is managerial education. Uh, Heis has just uh, pointed out how, uh, you know, this uh, combination of uh, ability, motivation, and opportunity um, is what generates um, gains for the organization, and uh, the creation of, op- of opportunity and motivation, and, and, and the motivation of people is a very specific thing. And I think not enough has been done in uh, managerial education to educate our managers that how to do, how to approach these things, and how important it is for the success and the resilience for the organization to do that.
1: Okay, so not just investment in the worker per se, but the, the, the manager is equally important to ensure that we tick all the boxes to to try and address this issue.
3: Yes, absolutely. There is a, an issue of managerial capital, if you want, that we have mm. to build.
1: Mm. Okay, that's fascinating too. I mean, you know, the, the, the discussion is going round to, to around, in a way, a core issue, which is that, Skills is not just about skills. Um, I think previously we, we would have understood skills too in a in a very sort of you know normative manner. Whereas now we've expanded to understand it requires this uh, ability, motivation, opportunity r- approach. We need to look at you know the the labour market. We need to look at managerial capital. But I think we also need to look, uh, and certainly in one of our previous podcasts, when we looked at working conditions in the working conditions survey, we were looking at job quality and the impact that that has on filling these jobs in these particular sectors. And if the working conditions are miserable in particular sectors, well, then it's a bit of a no-brainer that we won't you know, attract uh, good workers, skilled or unskilled, to, to fill those posts. So maybe, Tina, can you talk to us a little bit about how you think that we, we need to adjust efforts in that area to ensure that we harness the potential. Yeah I mean it, it may be the European Europe of skills but as you say skills
0: mismatch is not the only driver behind shortage and the data that we have from the European working conditions telephone survey from 2021 clearly shows that many of the sectors and the occupations where we see skill shortages are the ones that in that report, we call strained. So they might have um, difficult, uh, unsocial working hours. They might have high job intensity. They might have a, a lack of flexibility, which is what a lot of workers are now looking for. You know, this ability to be geographically flexible or flexible in terms of when they do their working hours. They might be exposed to bullying, to harassment. So those are the strained jobs and. These are things like health care, uh, to some extent also the transport sector, which are really facing a, a huge uh, skill shortage, not just in Europe, but globally. And that's another problem because often uh, the, the first reaction to a shortage is to try and attract also from other countries. In the health and care sector, that can be uh, a very dangerous thing because you're You're just uh, beggaring your neighbor, basically Mm. taking uh, skilled workers away from other countries. Um, And so when we did our most recent research on on policies to address these kind of issues, yes, there were examples of countries that have improved pay in these uh, sectors. And uh, I took note of what Gio said, that there is no real overall increase in pay, but When you look at the public sector specifically, there has also been a lot of caution in many countries to increase public sector wages in an effort not to increase inflation further. So maybe that's also a factor. But in any case, some countries have increased wages. And there are some examples where that has happened, where the, the share of doctors, for example, that make applications to have their... Their qualifications recognised to work abroad mm-hmm. has gone down, so this can uh, have an impact. But it's not just about pay, you know. It, it's about working conditions more generally. It is about flexibility. It's about access to training. It's about being your manager valuing you. It's about, it's about time. Having access to progression. It's about working time. So, yeah, Mm. Uh, it's not Mm. just skills. There's so many elements at at play. There are so many elements to working conditions Mm. that also have to be improved. And
1: I wonder, Grace, do you want to say you have seen something, I suppose, in the company survey about how that plays out also at company level?
0: Yes, well,
2: uh, what I was going to say is like when when we say we're looking at ability, motivation and uh, Opportunity. uh, opportunity, arguably we're just looking at elements of what we define as job like good job quality because Mm. the dimensions of job quality that we use to capture job quality in your found are very similar to what we're capturing when we're looking at the workplace practices that foster ability motivation and opportunity Uh, and i think the the company survey makes a very clear business case so it's not just us saying oh working conditions should be nice because they should we're saying if working conditions are nice you're much more likely to get the most out of your <laughs> out of your yeah. staff, so it's actually in your interest to invest in uh, a good a good working environment. And we, we even found that because in the past we've been looking at these win win outcomes, right? Uh, where we said, okay, what practices benefit both? But now what we find is actually it's not just that these practices benefit both, mm-hmm. ensuring that your employees are happy. So that in- investing in the well being of your employees. Benefits your uh, productivity, so it works through uh, improvement and well-being. We found that when we were looking at this AMO network, that the effectiveness of motivational drivers are much greater in an environment where well-being in general is high. So you need to first create good working conditions that create happy workers, and then they respond much better to your motivational drivers mm-hmm. than if you're in a situation where they're, they're miserable, and then and you tell them, "Look, you're doing a great job. Here's more money." Not going to make much of a difference. Mm
1: it seems a bit like a, a no-brainer
3: you, you think so you would think so yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Giovanni do you want to add anything to that
3: not uh, apart from the fact that i'm totally in agreement with what has been said now there is um, a very important figure in economics is uh, Herbert Simon because he's one of the you know founder of this behavioral economics and he wouldn't speak about uh, um, incentive he would speak about inducement because it has this broader view on what is an incentive. It's not only the money we give and uh, when we link the, the, the monetary compensation to, uh, to performance, is a much broader package, which includes the quality of the job. So if you look at it this way, um, uh, basically a good quality job becomes a part of your inducement package. And so you can support better performance in this way.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue for me to, to uh, include my own inducement package for the podcasts. where uh, part of this is to, to ask all uh, my guests to really talk to me about uh, what you would put on the table to a policymaker if you had them in front of you for, for two or three minutes. In the particular area we're discussing. And maybe I can start with you, Giovanni. I mean, what would be your main takeaway uh, for what we need to keep in mind to ensure that we address the skills issue?
3: I think I would go back to the managerial capital. Um, yes, I think we need to create a class of manager which really understands how the humans stick and uh, this understanding is not something that is developed easily and uh, it needs to be put in managerial education and if we if we do understand that then we also understand how human re- uh, operates in technology so we have this link about uh, technology um, let's say uh, powering up our productivity instead of replacing jobs mm-hmm. so i think this is the important link at the moment and i would talk about this to the policymaker.
1: That's interesting, particularly in today's context, when we're working remotely, there's hybrid work and there's different forms of of telework. Um, I think managers do need to to find themselves, uh, you know, a different role in a way that adapts to that whole new uh, world of work. But thank you, Giovanni, for yours. Uh, Tina? I mean, I think as
0: we've seen in this short discussion, labor shortages is a very complex topic. My argument would be that policymakers need to focus on what drives the labor shortage in the particular sector or occupation that they're looking at. And the first thing uh, they should see is, is there still slack uh, in their labor market? So are there groups that are underutilized, be they women, disabled, uh, individuals, migrants, refugees? You know, if you still have Uh, potential uh, to activate some groups. Maybe this is your first port of call. If the driver is poor working conditions, then this is where you need to target your activity. So so be very uh, mindful in different sectors and occupations. What is really the cause of the shortage and try and hone in on that. Okay, that might mean a complex policy Mm -hmm. mix generally. But it's a targeted approach mm-hmm. then to each So a deep dive
1: management. into the drivers at play, and then a segmentation, customization of the response on that basis. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Pace.
2: Yeah, I I'd, I'd bring it back to the company floor, which of course is a, <laughs> what if, what I've been talking about most. Uh, I would say focusing on employee involvement is key. Uh, if 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 it, it's not just about managers n- knowing better how to get the most out of people people can tell you what they need in order to do their job and they need to have an environment that is safe uh, and, and motivating, back at the AMO, uh, to do so. Arguably, that also requires sort of a healthy social dialogue system. Uh, so if you have a, a well-functioning uh, social dialogue system where uh, trade unions and employers can arrange the broader package of working conditions, then on the workflow itself, there is a room and trust uh, that allows managers and employees to speak about the issues to hand in terms of actually doing the best job uh, for for the business, uh, rather than having to focus all the time on who gets how much of the pie. You can
3: mm.
2: like you create an environment where everybody wants to focus on how to get a bigger pie altogether. Mm. Uh, and yeah, involving employees directly in order to, for this in, in this um, like workplace discussions on how to improve work, and indirectly through social dialogue, I think are, are key in order to achieve this more people-centered management approach that we've been talking about.
1: No, and that's very important what you raise there, clearly the employee involvement, but also that whole idea of creating a context where psychological security exists for the employee and that there is trust within the organization. Uh, Without that, you're not going to move very far forward on anything, let alone on on this particular issue. So I think we've covered all the bases in terms of your three points. I mean, we're looking at the drivers, which clearly are the big picture, and then going uh, into more granular detail on how to address them. We're looking at the managerial capacity and maybe the the gaps that need to be addressed there and we're looking at employment uh, employee involvement so i think uh were we to come away from our policy maker meeting they certainly we would have covered all the bases so Thank you very much for that, thank you for a really um, interesting, if uh, rapid tour around the skills area in this European Year of Skills. Thank you Tina, thank you Geis and thank you Giovanni and Thessalonica. And uh, please do join us uh, again for our next podcast, which will be upcoming. and for uh, any of the other issues that we discussed today, for example, gender equality, work, uh, job quality, working conditions and indeed so much more. Uh, you can download everything from our website or you can log on to Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. So until the next time when you're a fan talks to you.
0: Good jobs, quality jobs. We still have so much to do for women's rights. For the parents to go to work, you need good childcare. We will not have a successful recovery if we leave social rights.
1: Reinventing our way
3: of building and living. It is all right.